We thank you guys for being here in person, and thank you guys for watching online. If you're ever in Visalia or in our area, we'd love for you to join us. I believe you'll have a good time here. If those of you who don't know, we have a social media outlet. We have Instagram, Facebook, and we have a podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts available for you to listen to every single week. So we have every message on there. Um, it's a good source for you guys to plug in your ears and while you're driving or while you're walking or doing something, you can get the word in you all day long. Thank you, Lord. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. If you have your Bibles today, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Whew, it's good to be back today. It's good to be back. I had a great time with Brother Elijah last week. We, uh, if you don't know the family and, and, and him, we all drove down to Marietta to our good friend, Pastor Raging his church at, at West Coast Life Church. And we saw Brother Keith Moore that night, and it was such a great service, a great time, um, a lot of good words that were being spoken. And it was fun. It's, it's fun when you find friends in the faith. Amen? It, 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 it makes it different when you're doing it with friends. It's a lot harder to do this life of faith all alone. It's very difficult. It's very hard when you're secluding yourself and when you make yourself isolated. It's very hard to keep going and to finish the race as opposed to if you were with a lot of friends and you had people who were like-minded in what you believe. Amen? And that's, that's just our personal testimony. You can read it in one of my books. I don't know which one it is, it's in, but... We, uh, Stephanie and I, when we first got turned on to the Lord and, and, and what the Lord was showing us through the scriptures back in 2017, there were just some things that blew our, our minds and things that were pretty much brand new to us, although we were Christian, Christians for our whole life. The church failed to show us these things. And a lot of people are in that situation where they're going to church, but the, the messages are watered down and there's not any power working in that church. And so they're not experiencing life change. And so we got turned on to some amazing truths that we've been sharing with you over the, the past year and a half, almost two years now. And when we started getting this in us and sharing it with people and our friends, we got a lot of backlash, a lot of people ridiculing us and people calling us crazy for believing what we believe. And so it got lonely. It got real lonely because we really couldn't have, we didn't have any friends that related to us in the same area of faith. We felt like we were by ourselves. And then the Lord, we, we, we didn't seek them out. We didn't find these people. But the Lord, he divinely placed people in our life that had the like-minded faith. And it brought us that company. It brought us that companionship. And it made it a lot easier for us to to fight the fight of faith. Amen? And these people that he first brought to us, they lived in different, in different states. We had friends who lived in Texas who, that moved to Colorado. Uh, we have friends that live in Illinois. We have friends that live in Missouri, friends that live in all of these places um, in the United States that don't live next to us, but they were still like-minded in the faith. So they gave us that communion, that fellowship, that companionship. And then Brother Elijah Morrell, he brought a bunch of friends for Spirit Wind Conference last November, and he got us connected to a handful of other ministers that believe the same exact way. And so now we have, we have connections out the wazoo. 
of people who, who believe the same way that we do. And man, driving all the way down there, it was like a five-hour drive. And we had a newborn in the car. And he slept the whole way, praise God. So it was a great drive. But when we got there, we went to the service. And we were listening to Brother Keith. And then we, we hung out with him at the end of service. And then the next morning, a couple of us, we went out for lunch. It was just such a fun time. It was fun. And it got me thinking, this is what church is about. This is church right here. It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun being with like-minded people, right? I mean, how, how hard is it to be sitting at the dinner table when, when you're a Raider fan and you have a Bronco fan on the other side? It's hard. You just want to leave. But when you have people in common... And you have, or you have things in common with people, and you have people with like-minded faith, it gets fun. It gets fun. So today, I want to just talk to you about some scriptures that the Lord um, led me to, 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 to talk about this morning. And again, we're starting in Mark chapter 13. If you haven't found, found it by now, I'm a little concerned. Mark chapter 13. Let me read it out of my Bible. Thank you, Lord. But this, this is the uh, account of Jesus. I'm sorry, did I say Mark, Mark chapter 13 or 3? Mark chapter 3, verse 13. This is the account where, where Jesus, he takes up his 12 disciples. And it starts here in verse 13. He said, he went up on the mountain and he called him to him those he himself wanted. Did you know Jesus is calling you right now? Because he wants you. He loves you. He says he called to himself those who he wanted, and they came to him. Again, you got to call. You got to go to him when he's calling. When Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. People want the miracle, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get the miracle. When he tells you to do something, what do you do? Do it. He says, they came to him, verse 14, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, or the sons of thunder, that's a better name, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Verse 20, then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. In other words, they were pressing in. They were thronging him. Remember our series, The Violent Take It By Force? They were just pressing into the word like never before, as if the violence taking it by force or taking a city by force. And it says that they, they couldn't even eat bread, meaning that there, there wasn't time to eat. There were so many people pressing into them that, that their time to eat was taken away from them. And, but what was the purpose? Why, why were they pressing in? We just read it. Because he gave them power to heal and to, and what does it say? He gave power to, to heal of sicknesses, to cast out demons. Those two things alone will, will get a lot of attention. You start doing these things on a normal basis, you're going to get a lot of attention drawn to you. Good attention and bad attention. 
but you're going to get attention. And so they have all these people thronging them. And then it says, but when his own people heard about this, whose own people? Jesus. Jesus. Say his friends. When his friends heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he's out of his mind. So his own friends, the people that he grew up with, I'm sure some of his, his relatives were a part of these people, they, they came to him and they wanted to lay hold of him or, or take him because they said he's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's insane. Why was he insane? Because he appointed 12 disciples to follow him. That was what they thought was insane. They can, get, they can handle what he preached and, and what he believed. And, oh, yeah, that's just Jesus, the carpenter's son, preaching all that stuff. We don't believe in that. But the moment he said, I want you 12 to follow me, that's when they couldn't handle it anymore. Why? Because that was a very arrogant thing to do if he was not the son of God. If he was just any other person... And, and any, other, any other Jew, any other person that lived in that area and just said, I want to appoint you 12. You're going to follow under my leadership, under my teachings. You're going to do what I say to do because I'm so-and-so. That's arrogance. And they didn't like that. And they didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. So they, they, they wanted to take hold of him, lay hold of him. And they said he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> in other words, basically they're saying that he has the devil in him, calling him the devil. And, and these were the high priests. These are the, the scribes, the rulers, the leaders of, the, of, of religious stuff. And they said he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of demons... He casts out demons. And so I love this part. Verse 23. He said, so he called them to himself and said in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Does that make sense? This is a parable, so it shouldn't make sense if you're not of him. If this makes sense, it's because you are of him. That's why he spoke in parables. He spoke in parables so that they who are without couldn't understand. He hid the mysteries of God for you, not from you. So if you understand that this morning, praise God, you're of him. But he said this, he, that's what he said. Satan, how can he cast out Satan? How can a kingdom that's divided stand? It can't. And so he, he debunked their whole theology and, and their whole philosophy on, on who Jesus was and that he was of the devil and, and yada, 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 because Satan can't cast out Satan. He, you can't heal someone of a sickness after putting a sickness on them. It contradicts itself. And you know what? That even proves the very nature of God himself. That people cannot believe anymore that God puts a sickness on them just to heal them. That's Satan casting out Satan. It can't happen. 
God can't use the works of the devil like that and then heal them from the works of the devil. It doesn't work. It's, it's a house that's divided. It's a kingdom that's divided. I heard, I heard someone once say that Satan, that God has Satan on a leash and, and he just lets Satan attack people, but he's in control of that leash so he can reel him back whenever he wants to. It's like Satan's little dog nipping at people's ankles. And God's in control of that. Now let me ask you something. We have a lot of dogs in our house. And if we were walking our dogs, we have a, a big lab pit mix. And she is like 2% body fat, if even. It's all just muscle. Bulk muscle. She's probably like, what, 100 pounds? No, she's like 90 pounds, 80 pounds. But she's, she's just muscle. And if you've seen her, she's scary to look at at first. But she's the sweetest dog. She's so sweet. You'd probably scare her more than anything by just saying her name. But if we were walking down the street, and I had her leashed, and we were walking, and all of a sudden some guy comes walking down the street, unprovoked, and I let her attack that man, who's responsible? I am. So if God has Satan on a leash, and he lets him attack people, Who's responsible? So then God would be evil. And God would be using evil for good. Goes against his nature. And if that was the case, you and I would not be here right now. We would be floating particles in space. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says that the whole entire world is upheld by the power of his word. So if he goes against his word, that means the whole world falls apart. Mm. This isn't my message this morning. I'm getting into the good stuff today. But God can't, it, that, that, that completely breaks the idea that God uses Satan to hurt people and then to heal people. And then they'll use one scripture to prove that point even though there's hundreds of scripture proven against that point. Mm. So you got to be careful. Be careful that the enemy doesn't deceive you into believing a lie that sounds like the truth. Does he do that? He does. Do we have proof that the devil does that? We do. Where? In the word. Where? In Genesis. He makes the truth and he twists it into a lie that looks like the truth. And then he'll use, oh, I'm not going to go there. Just be careful because there are some great, great things out there for your entertainment that are great and they, they're serving a good purpose and they're helping people, but then they'll throw in an opinion and then it'll completely contradict the rest of the message. So if anything sounds like what I just said, that God uses the devil to, to hurt people and then to heal them, or that God put a sickness on someone just so that he could heal them and his name be glorified, that's Satan casting out Satan. Cannot happen. And, and just to be more clear, Satan can't even do that. 
Jesus said, Satan cannot cast out Satan. So if you see someone performing miracles, if you see deliverance, if you see people being healed, and you say that that minister is of the devil, I'm just saying, church, it's right here in black and red, right here, the words of Jesus. I'm not going to get into it too much, but later on, he says that that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is unpardonable. So the next time you see so-and-so minister healing someone or having a revival and you just don't like it, be careful because you could be speaking blasphemy over the Holy Spirit. And I pray to God you'd be ignorant of that. Let's keep going. Can we keep going? Thank you, Lord. But notice, this was the, the scribes and the religious leaders accusing Jesus of being of the devil. That's, if, if you operate in the power of healing and, and deliverance, if you operate in that long enough, it's not the common people who are going to argue with you. It's going to be the people who have influence. It's going to be the, the pastor at so-and-so church that leads 3,000 people that comes against you saying, oh, they're, they're of the devil. Why? because well, I'm not doing that stuff and I have 3,000 people in my church. Well, that's easy. Cast out a demon and then tell me that that's good. Tell me that your success is awesome. See, it, it takes faith, but it takes submission to God to be able to do these things. God's already anointed all of us with this power, but the only ones who are operating in this power are the ones who believe it. And the ones who don't believe it are the ones pointing at other people who do believe it, saying they're of the devil. So that one's free. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. What's my point, Matt? What's the point? I'll get to it. We still have three hours. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. We're getting into the good stuff today. By the way, we're still on the topic of relationships. And I'll get to it. I'll make it all connect. Just watch. So what did Jesus do? He brought all the, the disciples together. He formed a posse. And he gave them power and anointed them to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And then he shut the scribes and Pharisees up with a parable. I got to love my nice, loving Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the scripture says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, we just read this earlier, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, if you're with me and, you, and you've read the scriptures and you've read the gospels and you've read what Jesus did on the earth, you, wouldn't you say that Jesus was an advocate for loving everyone? Yes. This isn't a trick question. Yes. yes. Jesus told us to love everyone. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Bless those that curse you. 
He said, love your neighbors. If you love those who love you, what good is that? Love those who don't love you. He was an advocate for loving people, right? But then Paul says, when you have an opportunity, do good to all, but then there's that word especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What does he mean? What he's meaning is, it's wrong uh, for you to step over a brother and sister in Christ just to go help a lost one. That's wrong. That you should be helping your family first, then everyone else. Jesus even gave those instructions to the disciples after he had risen from the dead and he was going to ascend. He said, first, wait here in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to the outermost parts of the earth. He gave him a process. Start at home, go to the next city, then that neighboring city, then go to the ends of the earth. Start at your home, then go to a friend, then go to your strangers, and then go to the outmost part of the earth. That's what Paul's saying too. Do good to those. Do good to all, but especially those in the household of faith. Why do I say all this? Because a house divided cannot stand. We're the household of faith. I, I pray this prayer over you every single week that you're always welcome here in our household of faith. That's because we are a house. I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. We just read it. It's the household of faith that we are in. And it's very important that we nourish and that we edify and encourage and take care of us before others. That might sound selfish, but, but let me, hear me out. I don't care about you taking care of me. I want to take care of you. It's not about you taking care of me. It's me taking care of you. It's not about you having me take care of you. It's about you taking care of me. Do you see that? Yes. I'm not saying this to take care of the household of faith so that we are taken care of. Nothing to do with me. My God's my provider. He's my source. I trust in him. He'll always provide, always care for me. But the family of faith, we are a household of faith, needs to care for each other before we think we can go conquer the gates of hell. Because if we're a house that's divided, guess what we cannot do? Conquer the gates of hell. What the enemy loves to do is he likes to slip into the cracks and start eating away at parts of the household, making it unstable and making it weak. He attacks the strong points, uh, the, the strong points and makes them weak points. Can a house that has a lot of weak points stand structurally? No. What did Jesus say about the man who built his house on the sand? When the storms come, it falls. But the one who builds it on the rock, what happens? It stays. It stands. It's strong. Why? It was on a firm foundation. Firm foundation. Here's the difference. The Lord just showed me this right now, praise God. The sand, what is sand? It's grains, sure. But if you take a grain of sand under a microscope, what does it look like? Well, rocks millions and millions of little tiny rocks and the, the the house was unstable but on one big rock the house was strong mm. what's my point 
My point is, we need to stay away from division and stay away from altering motives. Because you can have a lot of people in your church with a lot of different beliefs and views, and it's going to be like the sand. But when you get your church in one belief, with one doctrine, with one view, you build your house on the rock. Amen? This is why, you see, the, the Bible's so funny because actually the Bible's not funny. It's the people who interpret the Bible are funny. Um, give me one second. I'm going to look up something for you guys to give a better illustration. Jesus was talking to a lot of people in John chapter 12. I love technology. It's like you can find things like that. John chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there really quick. And you don't have to put it on the screens either. This is just for, for fun. Another free one right here. In John chapter 12, verse 32, the Bible says that Jesus was talking um, and he's predicting his death on the cross. That's the topic of, of this verse, of this scripture. He says in verse 27, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came. Therefore, people who stood by heard it. Said it sounded like thunder. Others said an angel had spoken. But then Jesus said, he answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is, this is it right here. It says now in verse 31 is the judgment of this world. So what's the topic? Judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast down. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Now, if you're reading your Bible, and I encourage you to do this, John chapter 12, verse 32. Peoples in my Bible, New King James and the King James will show this is italicized. Have you ever read your Bible wondering why a certain word's italicized? It's not for the writer to put emphasis on it. The reason why that letters and words are italicized in your Bible is because the, the translator of this version of the Bible had enough audacity and integrity to say, this isn't in the original translation. I just put it in there for grammatical sense for the most part. If you take it out, it just says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. You take peoples out, because he put it in there. You take peoples out. He's drawing all to himself. One more time. What was the topic? Judgment. Judgment. See, people will take this verse and say, if we just preach Jesus, and Jesus loves, and Jesus this, and he accepts all, then we'll draw all the crowds and what they do. You have a church full of 10,000 people and the message is Jesus loves you no matter how you are. He loves you as you are. Stay as you are. No judgment. All happy peace on earth. Oh, that's so easy to draw a crowd. Come on. That is easy. But 
That's not what Jesus was saying. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all judgment on me. Meaning when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will bring all the judgment on the cross. And that was the meaning of that scripture. You see that? But people have taken it and said, if we just preach Jesus, if we just lift the name of Jesus and nothing else, don't talk about anything else, just Jesus, we'll have all people come. And they do, because that's easy. But preach the rest of the Bible. Preach everything. Don't just preach, you know. Oh, man. I heard Brother Keith Moore say this last week, and I loved it. You ever heard people say that Jesus, Jesus preached love and acceptance? That that was his message, right? Love and acceptance. Keith Moore said that God told me, no, no, it wasn't. That wasn't Jesus' message. If you go in the Bible, what was his message? The kingdom is near and repent. That was his message. The kingdom of God and repent. He loved people. He accepted people. He did love people. But that wasn't his message. It was the kingdom of God. Read it. He always talked about the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is if a man went out and sowed. The kingdom of God is if this happened. The king everywhere you go, it's about the kingdom of God and repentance. That was the kingdom. Or that was his message. It wasn't just love and acceptance. People have mistaken that and they've just Preach the love and acceptance, and then now they have all these crowds of people coming from all different denominations, all different backgrounds, all different beliefs, and they're all jumbled together in one big place, and it's not strong. It's not effective. It's not able to plunder the gates of hell. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Thank you, Lord. We're going to read a few verses in here, if that's all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. Verse uh, 20, or verse 12. For as the body is one. Someone say the body is one. one. And has many members. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. I'm going to stop there. What was he saying? He says, all members of the body of Christ make up one body. There is one body, but it has many members. Right? Then he goes on to say in in verse uh, 20, if you jump down. It says, but now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. So he, earlier, he relates this to the feet and our physical body. We have a foot. We have another foot. We have a hand, another hand. We have arms. We have a chest. We have legs. We have a head. We have all these parts on our body, but it makes up one body, right? Say, I have one body. But you have many members, and that many members makes up that one body. He relates it to the church. The church has many members in the church, but it all makes up one body. So he says in verse 21, 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Has anyone ever woken up and said, you know what, I just don't want my big toe anymore. I mean, you never even see it. It always has shoes on or socks on. What's the purpose? I don't want it. And it's so funny, too, because you ever hear people going to the hospital um, and getting things taken out of their body, and like people say, well, you don't really need it. I find that very hard to believe. God put it in there for a reason. And if you just take it out because there's no need for it, that goes against what the word says. I don't, I mean, I've heard many times that if you get your appendix removed, well, you didn't really need it in the first place. Well, then why was it in there? God, I, there is, I am sure there is a purpose for the appendix. Because if it bursts, you're about to die. So there, there's a purpose for it somewhere. But I, I, don't, I do not believe that, that there is not a part of my body that I can just live without. I don't believe that. The tonsils, there's a purpose. <laughs> Praise God. But he said right here, where was I? Verse, verse 20, uh, where was I? Yeah, 22. No much rather the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So in other words, all of the, all of the parts of your physical body, all of the parts of the church body, they're, they're necessary. They're needed. Therefore, when you are here at church, and you want to serve on the serve team, and we say, here's a plunger, and here's a scrubber. Go scrub the toilets. Don't take that lightly. Don't sit there and say, well, well I, I really felt the Lord calling me to be on stage. Oh, I really felt the Lord saying that this is my position. Did he now? Okay, pastor. But the, the point is, we've taken these roles in the church and we've categorized them as important roles and non-important roles. See, the person who scrubs the toilet is no less important than the person who stands up here and preaches. According to the Bible, the weaker thing, the, the parts that seem, it doesn't say are, that seem or appear weaker are necessary. Just like your, your pinky toe. That thing is tiny, but you break that thing and you're in a world of hurt. Even the little insignificant pinky toe. Once you hurt it, it hurts. It's significant. You lose your big toe, your balance is off. Even the parts that seem weaker, not are weaker, but seem weaker, God says are necessary. And that includes in this church body. So he goes on. <clears throat> he says in verse 23, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, are these, on these we bestow a greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Uh, verse 24 God composed the body, having greater, giving greater honor to the part which lacks it, 
verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, someone say all. All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, someone say all. All, all the members rejoice. Amen. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Man, I love this verse. I love this whole scripture. There's so much power in this scripture. But I want to go back to verse 25. Verse 25 We'll go back to verse 24. It says, but God composed the body. Therefore, that's why I don't believe that there's no part that's irrelevant in my actual body. God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism. Someone say schism. schism. Say with the with the like a German schism. That there should be no skip. What does that mean? Go to the, the New International Version of this. It says, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no, say it out loud, division, division in the body. Mm, thank you, Lord. There is no division. If there is division in the body... It becomes ineffective. Just like if there's a, a house divided, it's ineffective. This, this is powerful, friends, because this goes as little as the family unit all the way up to political, governmental. If you have a country that's divided against itself, is it effective? We're witnessing it, church. It's not effective. But... And see, this is where you got, this is, this is slippery, a slippery slope. Because then you'll have the people who are fighting for the one world stuff say, oh, we all just need to unite together, coexist. That's not what this is talking about. But if you, you, we can see from physical evidence of our nation how division keeps a country ineffective, keeps a, a people powerless. And it goes all the way up to the government, down to the churches, all the way down to the single family unit, down to you and your spouse. That's right. If there's any division in that body, it's ineffective. So what is the devil trying to do? Give division. Thank you, Lord. We all understand that there is power in unity, correct? But there's power in division. We see both in Genesis uh, chapter 11, where the people built the Tower of Babel trying to reach the heavens. And it says that, the, that God said in verse 6, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. What does that say? Unity. Unity. Being in one accord. And this is what they began to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. The King James says that nothing which they've imagined to do will be withheld. In other words, there's power in imagination, which is another book that I have, that I'm, or not, I don't have one, but I might have one. The teaching I have called The, the Thoughtful Life 
talks about how powerful your thoughts are and your imagination is. But the other part of this was the unity. The unity of the believers was so strong, not the believers, of these people were so strong that God said nothing will be restrained from them. Nothing will be withheld from them. So God had to go down, and what did he do? Caused division. He separated them by their language so they couldn't understand each other anymore. He divided them. And, and if you ever find this trend in the scriptures, what is the devil always trying to do? He's trying to copy God. He always tries to copy God and do what God does with his own flair on it. Because one, he's trying to unite all the people of the world to be against the Lord. And two, he's trying to divide people that are in the body so that there's not any power anymore. God divided the people, but there was a great purpose to it. And the devil is always trying to follow in his footsteps for his purpose. So you have to be able to identify because there's certain things that the devil will, will try to do and put this, this, this act or this work in a box that looks good. The Bible says that he's, an, he's disguised as an angel of light. He's tricky. He's clever. And the only way to, to detect him is knowing what the word says, knowing how God's character is. But the purpose here, why God, he, he, he purposefully and intricately, I'm not even going to try to say it, intricately formed the body so precisely that there would be no division. And how did he do that, church? He gave a boundary. This is what the body believes, and anything else that looks like a body that doesn't believe this is not my body. Yes. Right. Well, think about it. How can God make up a body that, that, that has no division in it? It's because they're all following one thing, the word. Right. Now, I'm sure you, you are aware of of autoimmune diseases and what they are. And by definition, I'll just read it. It says it's when your, body, your body's natural defense system can't tell the difference between your own cells and foreign cells that make you sick. It causes your body to attack your normal good cells instead of the bad cells. It's a body that's divided against itself. It doesn't know which one to attack. Does that sound familiar? We got a lot of bodies in the, in, the, in the church, a lot of members in the church that are attacking the church. It's like an autoimmune disease in the church that they don't know which, who's, who's to attack and who's good, what's the good cell, what's the bad cell. They're confused. Hmm. And it's a disorder. And the only time your body attacks itself is when there's something wrong. So when other bodies, other members of the body of Christ are attacking the other parts of the body of Christ, which one has the disorder? I'll leave that there. 
I can feel it marinating and just sitting there over your heads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't let the devil divide God's people. Turn to 1 Peter. Don't turn there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's constantly looking for what? The weak link. What does a lion do before he, he, he attacks his prey? He seeks out the one that's gone astray. He seeks out the wink link. Or, I've, I've, I've looked into this too. How does, how does um, not how, but God created zebras so beautifully to where lions, they need a focal point to, to attack. They need something to focus on to attack. And zebras, that's why they're always in a herd together, because they all look the same, all of them. And so the only time a lion will attack a herd of zebras is when he finds the one zebra in the whole pack that looks slightly different. If you look it up, it's really fascinating that the lion, he'll, he'll, if like maybe a, a tagger tagged a zebra's ear, or maybe he has a, a, a bruise or a, a dirt mark, He'll find that one discrepancy and he'll lock on it. And what he does is when he goes and attacks, he'll separate that one from the rest of them causing division. But what was, what was the real um, purpose of, not the purpose, the initial point of the lion's attack? He found that one zebra that was different. That one zebra that was different. You can be in a body of Christ that believes the same thing, but if you don't believe what the rest believe, you're going to be sitting there thinking, well, why the heck is the devil always attacking me? How come everyone else seems to be blessed? But I'm going through all this hardship. I'm the one that's... It's because you don't believe the same way. If, if you're the only one... Now, just hear me out, church. If you're the only one in the whole body where life just seems to be like it's a mess, who do you think's the wrong one? What you've got to do is find out, what are they doing? How come, how come they're in victory all the time? What's the difference? And let me tell you this. It's not that the enemy's not attacking, because the lion is still there. Any one of us is susceptible. The difference is, you're the one that stands out. So figure out how to blend in. Not with the world, but with the church. How do you blend in with the church? Who, think of your favorite minister healing minister, whoever it is, and, and if you're thinking of one, it's wrong. It should be Jesus. But whoever you're thinking of, think, how do I be more like them? How do I be more like Jesus? How do I do what Jesus did? He's given you the power, given you the authority. The attacks came, but he was still victorious. See, it's not that the attacks don't come. Not that the lion's not there. It's that you're the one that's not different anymore. You're, you've blended in. You're in the fight of faith. Amen? Have you found 1 Corinthians yet? The devil is trying to separate you from the rest of the pack so he can devour you. 
According to the center of study, I've looked this up, the Center for Study of Global Christianity, there are more than 200 Christian denominations in the U.S. Dang. 200 denominations. And 45,000 denominations globally. That's crazy. It all started with Constantine. But this, this, ah, Lord, how do I say this? Man is the one who created denominations. God did not. God, he don't care if you're Pentecostal or apostolic or apologetic or, he doesn't care about those things. All he cares about is if you love him and you read his word and you follow his word and you love Jesus and you're doing what he told you to do. He doesn't care about the denomination. But what man has done is they've taken these, these, these they've taken the word and they go, okay, well, let's see. The Bible says I'm healed. I don't really feel healed, so let's tear that out of the book and let's start saying that God doesn't heal anymore because I don't feel like he does. And I'll find one scripture that kind of supports it but doesn't in any way whatsoever, but I'll twist it. And then they'll make that denomination. And then the other group will say, well, no, you, you have to be baptized. You have to say in Jesus' name before and after a prayer. You have to do this. And that's the only way that you can go to heaven. Another denomination. And what have they done? They've taken bits and pieces out of the scripture that don't say that whatsoever. And they've made it to say that. That's what's happened. And there's all these denominations around the world because man didn't like what it said and they've made their own version. So regardless if you're a Pentecostal or a Baptist or whatever, you have to understand there's some flaw in it. I don't care what you are. If you're a Pentecostal, you might believe in the word, but you mix some doubt and unbelief in it a little bit. If you're a Baptist, you don't believe any of the works of the Holy Spirit are evident today and that they all passed away. There's something wrong there. If you're any denomination, you need to understand there is a flaw somewhere in your doctrine. Because if you think your doctrine is the perfect doctrine, you're deceived. What are we? You don't know because I don't say nothing. You know what we are, church? We're word-carrying believers. We believe the word of God. That's what we believe. All of it. And I can say that our doctrine's perfect because we don't have a denomination. We just believe the word. So if you're calling it imperfect, you're calling the word imperfect. Do I know everything? No. I don't say that. But... We're not going to be stuck in a category that says this and that, and you have to do this and that, or else you're wrong. That's not, that's not what the Bible says. Believe in the Bible. Let me show you something else. <clears throat> Did you find 1 Corinthians yet? Yes, yes. We read, this, we read a, a portion of this last week with Brother Elijah. This is a different instance of this, and it's worded a little differently. But it said, Now I plead with you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Someone say the same thing. The same thing. The same thing. 
that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. In other words, there's differing beliefs, there's arguments, there's, there's, there's contentions. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The obvious answer, church, is what? No. I love what Brother Elijah said last week. He said, it don't matter if you like Brother Copeland or Brother Matthew or Brother Elijah or Brother Walmart. It don't matter. They all belong to you. They all belong to you. The, The trick is of the enemy, the trick of the enemy is when we start to say his teaching is better than his teaching. He's more right than he is. This is why I cannot stand those people who blatantly call out every single minister that they're against and why they're wrong. Get a life. Man, that's a sad life to sit there and just study all these people, why they're wrong, why they said this. This one 30-second clip of them explains why they're of the devil. Thank God for his grace. But the the trap is when we start to cling to man. Paul, Cephas, every one of those. Apollos are men. Are any of them Christ? No. They're men. Do men make mistakes? Yes, they do. Do men say things they shouldn't say? (laughs) Do women? Who said yes? Which man said yes? We make mistakes. We say things we shouldn't say. Especially when there's a TV camera in your face and they're pointing questions at you and making you look like the devil. It's going to be pressure. But the point is, are you following Christ? That's the point. Because the truth is, the people who said, I'm of Paul, and the people who said, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and the ones that said, I'm of Christ, guess what the truth actually was about all of them? None of them were following Christ. Do you want to know why? Because there were contentions. There was contention between them. There is division between them. The scripture says in James 3, where there is envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing is there. The King James says where envy and strife are, every evil work is there. In other words, if, 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 if you are in strife with your spouse, if you're in envy with a coworker, if you're arguing with a friend, guess what you open the door to? Every evil work, not some, every, all of them. The cold, I can handle that. The flu, a little tougher. COVID-19, sure. Cancer, that's death. That's evil. 
You've opened the door for the enemy to operate however he wants to operate, whether it's giving you a life-threatening disease or it's making you bankrupt. When you have strife, envy, confusion, or contention, you've opened the door for all of those things. And then people sit there and scratch their head. Why the heck is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Someone say, thank God for grace. Thank God I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the test, my testimony. It's not to scare you, it's to tell you the truth. You're an overcomer. Anything that comes your way, you can overcome her, but just know you're opening the door to a fight you do not want to fight. You can get victory, but you don't want to open it in the first place. Thank you, Lord. In Proverbs 13, the band can come up too. It says, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised, they seek wisdom. See, pride, it's the root of envy, strife, contention, division. The only reason why people have arguments with each other is because of pride. The last time you and your spouse argued, there was pride. And if it was an argument, guess what that means? It takes two people. You can't argue with a dead person because they won't argue back. But when you're arguing, that means it takes two. And when that's happening, there's pride in both. Come on. I said there's pride in both. And when you do that, you'll find strife. You'll find envy. You'll find division. You'll find confusion. And that's all because people are divided because someone believes one way and another person believes another way. I love this because when you look at division, when you look at the word itself, you'll see the whole, how, how do you spell it? D-I-V-I-S-I-O-N. We'll split it up. D-I is die, vision. Die means two. Two visions. See, division isn't just arguing and yelling and, conf- and, and, and disagreeing. Division is having two visions enter the conversation. And only peace will come when one person's willing to submit their vision to the other. That's the only time peace will come. But if both people are, are strong and prideful and don't submit to the other, division. That's why companies split. That's why marriages break apart. That's why friendships have a fallout. Because there's two different visions and none of the, the, no one was willing to submit. So how do I take this back to the church? Because Paul, if you read what he was, what he was talking about early in, in, in his writings in, in 1 Corinthians, he tells the people to be a one mind to speak the same thing to have one doctrine one there's certain things that paul wrote about that were non-essential beliefs meaning yeah you can differ you can if if a brother doesn't want to eat a certain food on a certain day let him 
Don't argue about that. Who cares? Let them eat that way. And if you want to eat something and, and, and someone else is bothered, don't, don't get argued by it. Don't have a fight about that. It doesn't matter. But then there are other things in the Bible that Paul says these are non-negotiable. These are essential doctrines. This is how the church believes. But what's happened now is that the world has taken what Paul has instituted as essential and they've made them non-essential. We've taken essential doctrines in the word and we've made them non-essential. What do I mean by that? Just a couple of examples. Church discipline. That's an essential doctrine that Paul talks about. Legal disputes. Divorce and remarriage. Not offending a weaker brother or sister. Communion. Spiritual gifts and how to use them. And the resurrection from the dead. Those are examples of essential doctrines that Paul said these are not for negotiation these are not for dispute if you don't believe this you are not of him but you have 46,000 denominations that all differ division this will not be a house divided as your pastor as the leader of this church this church deep-rooted will be a house undivided amen Amen. there's power in unity and the reason why I said that none of the none of the people that said I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, none of them were actually of Christ because Christ would never lead them to get into a dispute on who is who. Christ wouldn't lead them to get into division. Amen. Amen.